listeners. You're listening to another episode of Beckett's Babies. We're your host, Sarah Cho. And Sam Collier. And we are so excited about this interview we have for you today. Uh, we are joined by Jonathan Spector, who is a playwright based in Oakland, California. His play, Eureka Day, which uh, was a New York Times critic's pick and received all of the San Francisco Bay Area's new play awards, the Glickman Award, Bay Area Theater Critics Circle Award, Theater Bay Area Award, and Rella Lossie Award. This and other plays, including This Much I Know, What Comes Next, and Siesta Key, have been produced and developed across the country. He's also a McDowell Colony Fellow, a core writer at Playwright Center in Minneapolis, and the recipient of South Coast Rep's Elizabeth George Commission. In October, his audio drama, The Flats, which is co-written with Lauren Gunderson and Cleavon Smith, will premiere with Aurora Theater. Jonathan, welcome to Beckett's Babies. Thank you so much. I, I'm so excited to be here. I'm, I'm big fans of the podcast. Or I'm big fan. Well, we are thrilled uh, to get to talk to you yes. about uh, Eureka Day, which we both just read yesterday. Um, but before we dive into that, can you tell us uh, what is your earliest memory when you were a baby? <laughs> yeah, my, my, I, there's two, but I, the one that I think is the first is being in my crib, uh, and my brother who's four years older is in the crib with me. And we're, I, we're pretending to be lions in my memory, like the bars or like bars at the zoo. Uh, I don't know how old I am. Maybe I'm like, maybe two, but that for some reason, that's the, the memory that I have of that age. That's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> and you said with your brother, is your brother older or younger? He's four years older. Okay. Mm -hmm. So how did you go from being that lion in the crib to um, starting to explore the world of theater? I got into theater. I think I'd always liked doing, you know, skits and, and things in school. And then in high school, started uh, doing plays. But, um, but I think it was much more about a, a sort of social thing than the sort of artistic bent. I, I think at the time, I, I I was really into writing and literature, and I think I thought of that as much more of a sort of artistic interest and in doing plays mm. as more fun. Um, and and then it took many many years for those things to kind of you know come together. Um, but then I went I went to college uh, to, to New College where I know you had a, a workshop, Sarah or Sam, uh, which is this very small college in Florida. Um, that had neither a writing program or a theater program because um, it was very tiny and, and you would do a lot of sort of, you know, self-directed projects and tutorials and we had no grades. Um, <laughs> that sounds awesome. <laughs> uh, it, you know, it, it was in, in, in a lot of ways, but it also, um, you know, it meant you were sort of on your own a lot. I mean, it, it meant that I did a lot of plays because, you, you know, there would be these sort of students directed projects and I directed a bunch of plays because um, you could initiate it, you know, that kind of thing on your own. But I, you know, it also meant I actually had like very little real theater education. Um, and, uh, but I had done enough plays to know that I was not a great actor and, and directed a bunch of plays in undergrad and, 
decided I should be a, a director. Um, and then I, I moved to New York because I figured that's, you know, what one does. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, and found that both like a really sort of exciting time and a really like difficult and disorienting time because I, you know, I mean, I, you know, it had like, there was no real theater education, um, just like had very little sense about like contemporary theater or professional theater or the industry or any of those things and, and was sort of very lost, I think. Um, I did, I sort of stumbled into um, kind of hanging around the like downtown theater scene um, at the time, like assistant directed a, a bunch of plays, like, um, you know, ended up like uh, right after I got to New York, assistant directing a play at, at Soho Rep. Um, and that sort of then, you know, sort of led to, to a bunch of other things. Um, and I think... Uh, but I just couldn't really, you know, at the time I felt really frustrated because I had no idea like how to, um, make anything happen or like any mm. path to sort of go from where I felt like I was to where I thought I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, I mean, looking back at that time, I feel like it was really super uh, important because I was absorbing so many things and just like being exposed to so much work and, and so many amazing artists. Um, but that wasn't, you know, I don't think that was the experience of it. Uh, oh, I, mean, I mean, or at least not completely. And then I, um, I, one summer I did the, the Lincoln Center Directors Lab and I met the woman who is now my wife, uh, who was living in California and, and we sort of ended up, you know, doing sort of a, a long distance thing. And I, I, I eventually ended up sort of following her out here. And that's how I, I got here to the Bay Area. Um, and I think when I first came, I had this idea, like in the back of my mind that I would, you know, maybe go back to New York. You know, who knew if this relationship was going to work out? Um, but they did, like the Bay Area would be a nice place to like sort of like spread my wings a little bit more in mm -hmm. a you know, mm -hmm. less intense environment. Um, and so my 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 wife had just started a, a theater company, and so we sort of ran that theater company together. I mean, it it still exists actually. You know, so it's sort of been around a long time, although it's kind of in a more much more muted form than it, than it once was. Um, and I also, when I got here, I, you know, ended up starting to work with um, Playwrights Foundation, who are the, the organization that runs the Bay Area Playwrights Festival, um, and became the literary manager there, and then eventually the associate artistic director, and did that for a couple of years, um, and was sort of directing shows with my theater company, and trying to be a director, and then... Um, so got to the end of that, sort of was ready, you know, was sort of done working at Players Foundation um, and applied to grad school for directing, which I had done uh, many years earlier when I was right out of college and didn't get in. And um, and I did get in, but the, the program I got into would have meant taking out a ton of loans. And so I like had this mm. sort of, you know, like moment of truth of realizing yeah. that I didn't really want to be a director badly enough because I didn't want to go into all this debt 
to do it. Um, and then I sort of had like a real moment of crisis. I like the next year I like applied to law school. Uh, and then at the very last minute, I also applied to this MFA playwriting program at, at San Francisco State, where I, I knew some of the people who taught there. Um, and it's a very sort of, you know, very cheap, or at least was then, like a very cheap program if you were an in-state student and really structured around people who kind of had other jobs. Um, mm -hmm. and, like, um, and I had like started writing a little bit right before that, but I, I don't think I, I had not even written a full-length play. But it was, it sounds I, like it was just I, a spur of the moment decision. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, because I had always, like, written when I was younger, like, I don't, I had the idea that I would, like, come back to writing, but I just sort of never, I hadn't, like, sort of didn't write for 10 <laughs> years great. from, like, yeah, college. And then, um, and I had a couple things that happened. I had done this, like, devised piece with some other people, or, and, and I had ended up writing some things as part of that, and was like, oh, yeah, writing's great. But I think because I had... I don't know. I was very like uh, I had a lot of anxiety about like telling anybody I was I was writing for a long time because I had I don't know been on the other side of it as like a sort of somebody who worked in like you know the literary manager and this like new play development organization or their company. So it, it took me a very long time to like I don't know like say I was a writer and and really that was the sort of the best thing that happened in that in that. MFA program was to sort of just like give myself like the space and time to start to think about myself as a as a writer um and and I stopped direct I you know I, I think the first year I was in that program was the last time I directed a play and I um yeah and then had sort of just had like um that's kind of yeah shifted that direction and was writing um and having work uh you know, just sort of developed in some opportunities in, in the Bay Area um, and continuing to, to run the theater company sort of intermittently. Um, yeah, and that's kind of, and, and then uh, I think, you know, but, but at the, you know, it was very limited, or at least it felt like in terms of sort of my opportunities to just the Bay Area. Um, and then just sort of more recently, I think sort of with, some of the things that happened around here today have sort of started to have more I don't know, opportunities to, to work kind of I don't know, around the country. Um, yeah, let's, I, w I would love to talk about your good day. Um, first of all, wow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> really enjoyed that. We're so, I'm so curious, like the moment, uh, the, the ideas, the things about it, and maybe really quickly um, sharing what it is, what's about uh, for our listeners, uh, what the play was about. Um, what made you, what inspired you to write this play? Yeah, uh, so the play is about, it's set at a, um, a private elementary school in Berkeley. Um, and the characters are the, the board of directors of that school and the, the principal of the school. Um, and it's a super progressive school where um, the board makes all of their decisions by consensus. Uh, you know, and have all these progressive values, and then there is um, an outbreak of mumps, and uh, there is, you know, it, it, they they struggle to find consensus around the idea of vaccinations and if they should, you know, what the school policy on vaccinations 
should be um, and everything sort of uh, mm-hmm. falls apart and it's uh, yeah sort of the the, uh, the the tragedy of like I don't know in some ways I mean my favorite um, uh, <laughs> uh, like encapsulation of the play that my uh, my friend Isaac Butler who's a sort of critic and writer um, you know, it's like a play about like the failure of the Obama years, like the idealism of the Obama years being that like, you know, reasonable people on both sides can sort of come together and like reach consensus and we can all sort of move forward together. But that the reality is like if one side either is like operating in bad faith or just sort of believes things that you fundamentally believe to not be true, like if you're not operating out of the same baseline of reality, then you can't like you can't have a consensus because you can't oh, sort of agree yeah. on sort of what the, what the things are. So, which I feel well, like and a I little think bit. What's so interesting about it too, is that it it's two very different sides, but they're in such a kind of microcosm community, you know, that is a very small um, sector or small subset of the American population that like agrees on a lot of things. It's just that this one issue is very polarizing for them. Right. And that was that was kind of the spark of the play in a lot of ways is having this experience of talking to people in uh, in the Bay Area, people who are like, you know, as smart or smarter than I am and super well educated and like we have all the same politics. Um, but then like this you would realize like on this one thing they seem to just like live in an alternative universe from you. Yeah. And like that is Which so, is very disorienting. So it's so disorienting when that happens. I mean, totally. I'm thinking about, I was teaching at a high school a couple of years ago and one of the other teachers at the school didn't believe in vaccines. And, I, and it, was, it was just like, such a shocking moment for me to discover that somebody could be a teacher, like a <laughs> teacher at a high mm. school and not believe in vaccines, which I mean, kind of shows my naivete, I think. Um, but it, it can, it can feel like the ground is shifting underneath you when you feel like you're on the same page with somebody and you realize you're not. Yeah, no, to like that. That's totally the experience. So talk to us a little bit about the journey of this play. So you, you were inspired to write about people in the Bay, Bay, Bay yeah. Area. And, so, and how long ago did you write the first draft? And it seems like it's had um, a number of productions so far. So I think our listeners would be curious about the, just like the life journey of the play. Yeah, so it started um, there with this theater in Berkeley called the Aurora, where I had... I had had a couple of readings there over the years, had been like selected for this contest they used to have. Um, so I had a little bit of a relationship with them and they, there's this grant, I don't know if it still exists, but it, it, it would come around once every three years for playwriting where like the foundation would commission a theater and a playwright with a pretty nice sized commission, but, and a bunch of money for the theater, but the theater had to commit to producing the play before it had been written as part of the grant, um, which is a really awesome grant. Um, so I, <laughs> yeah. uh, I approached them about, about applying together um, and had this like extremely vague idea that it would be something about vaccines, but that was sort of all I knew. 
and some and the Bay Area. Um, and we did not get the grant, probably because I had no idea what the play was going to be about and couldn't <laughs> articulate it. Uh, and but at that time, they were just sort of taking what had been that um, like reading series new play contest and like shifting it over to be a commissioning program. And so they decided like this would be one of the first plays they would commission. Cool. Uh, so then I don't totally remember the timeline, but I do remember this like really palpable feeling of like not writing the play and having a lot of anxiety that I was like blowing this opportunity as I continued to not write the play um, over a longer time. And then which was maybe, I don't know, maybe that was like six months or something. And then I, I sort of eventually, you know, and they were sort of very gently like check in with me to see how it was coming. Um, and then eventually I, I mean, I feel like this is actually a, a great lesson that I have learned about process. Is it, I, I, my daughter, I have an almost five-year-old daughter at that time, she was uh, less than one. And um, I found it just very hard to find the time to write it. So I went away on this little kind of like self-imposed writing retreat for three days, um, you know, which my wife very generously allowed me to go on. And I, I remember coming home and like telling her like, oh, I, I accomplished nothing, you know, like I didn't get anything done. And she was so angry at me because it was like, <laughs> like such a burden, you know, to do that. And, and what I had done really is I had like on that day, I'd done a lot of procrastinating and I'd done a lot of, um, like I made several like attempts to find a way into the play, but like none of them felt like they were going anywhere. But uh, it, it's interesting because on one of them, I in what was going to be this like much more surrealistic version of the play, I wrote um, what became you know uh, the monologue that the that Suzanne has kind of late in the play about big pharma and how you know the the painkiller it, it's just like what they've done with painkillers. Mm -hmm. And like that ended up almost the same as I wrote it then, you know, in the play. And so it, I, I feel like the a lesson that I have taken away, which I keep it relearning, is like, you know, the process of, of writing is not linear. And often, like, you might feel like you're not moving forward with something because you feel like you're hitting dead ends, but but you're still like doing work in that time and it's still leading you somewhere. That's so true. Uh, yeah. yeah. I can and, really relate to that. And a lot of times you're you're doing work with your subconscious mind. Totally, totally, yeah. And so now when I like you know have had a period of days or something, and I will tell my wife like, oh, I'm so frustrated. I'm I I just got nothing done, and she'll be like, no, no, I I know you're actually getting things done when you're getting nothing done, because um, <laughs> I you know struggle with procrastination, <laughs> um, uh, and. Uh, yeah, so then I, at some point, I don't remember exactly when I landed on it being a school, but at, at some point I, I, I did, and um, so I wrote, I, you know, so maybe it was, I don't know, a year after I got the commission, I wrote sort of either, I don't know if it was a whole draft or it was half the play, but some very terrible version of something that resembled the play, you know, and, and brought it in, and, and we sort of read it around the table with some actors. Um, and that sort of started, you know, what was really just a super wonderful development process where like periodically I would have either like another draft or, or, or pages and I would bring it in and we would read it with actors either around a table. And then it sort of like 
grew as time went on. So then eventually we, you know, did a reading with like a day of rehearsal and then we did a bigger workshop with a couple of days of rehearsal and then, you know, did a workshop just on focusing on like trying to figure out how that Facebook scene was going to work. Um, yeah, and sort of grew the play and had lots of conversations all along the way with the director who was on, on staff at the theater. Um, and we sort of picked up the actors who ended up being in the cast through that development process. So like two of them who were in the production, you know, were there that very first day when we read the like terrible dregs of whatever around the table, um, you know, and so, you know, and so they, the actors were then really like informed sort of how, how the play developed. And so by the time we got into the rehearsal room, it felt like everybody was really invested in the play and, and sort of had, you know, real investment in their characters. And it was, it was really sort of just like, you know, sort of soup to nuts, like a wonderful development process, except for the how much I hated writing the play, which I deeply, you know, deeply hated. I, I had so much, uh, I think I was trying to write a play that I thought the audience of the theater would like, but I had so much anxiety about feeling like this was not the kind of play that I like, that like, it's just mm. the people like sitting in a room arguing about an issue um, and wasn't theatrical and wasn't, you know, and, and I, um, I don't know. I, I, I really, I, I think I really struggled to, <laughs> to write it for a long time. Um, and just kind of, I think had I not had like that support and encouragement of sort of the other people who are part of that process, I don't, I don't know that I would have been able to like see it all the way through. That's so um, interesting to yeah. me. Yeah. I'm wondering if that changed. Was there a, a moment when you started to love it or? I mean, yeah. I don't know, I'm just kind of wondering about, because I've had experiences like that, and almost always I just give up on the project. Like, I can't, <laughs> and it's really difficult to move forward <laughs> with something yeah. where I feel like I'm writing it uh, against my wishes, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think I started, I think I had a lot of fun in the rehearsal process. Um, mm -hmm. I think I still didn't know, like, what anybody would think about the play, but I was, I was having fun sort of with those people and making it and, th and thought like, it might be this like nice little gift for like this very specific community in Berkeley because it was such a Berkeley play. Um, but I didn't, yeah, I think until we had an audience, I didn't like know what to think yeah. of it. Um, and I think, and, and it, it's the, I mean, with this play, I've never had an experience, which is such an extreme example of how you don't understand how a play works until you have an audience. Um, mm. Because I, like with that Facebook scene, um, which is for I mean, people listening, it's, it, 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 the, the board decides to do this like Facebook live discussion with the um, school community about what to do because they can't <laughs> so gather in fun. person. <laughs> Um, so you're seeing the actors on stage and then you're seeing all the comments from the, the people. Um, and I think our anxiety all the way through when we were making the play was like, this theater has a very old audience subscriber base. Like, are they even going to want to read this text or are they just going to ignore it completely and just listen to the actors on stage? And, you know, I was sort of making my piece with like, well, it, it'll still work if they only listen to the actors, like it's fine. Um, and then that first preview we had, it was, you know, like the laughter was just like a wall of sound for the whole scene. Yeah. Like you couldn't hear, you couldn't <laughs> you hear like, uh, you couldn't hear a word on 
So, and for people who are just maybe haven't read the plan or just listening, um, it, my sense is that the comments as they're coming in kind of in real time are projected on a wall. Is that how you guys did it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So these are all uh, the parents of the school who are, um, they start out with these kind of, kind of polite um, philosophical disagreements. And then as the scene goes on, it just devolves into personal attacks. <laughs> and, you know, of course there's a reference to the Nazis and it just continues <laughs> from there. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It was such a, uh, and I just remember like me and the director and some of the designers, like while that was happening, just like looking around at each other, like what the hell is going on? Because like none of us were expecting that and none of the actors were expecting that. So they were like hit with it. Um, And then I had to to sort of quickly go in and like cut a bunch of comments to make sure that you could still hear the lines that are important to hear in the scene. yeah, yeah and then scene, it, oh sorry no no uh, no I was just gonna say that scene I mean it I just love the contrast between you know what's what we're seeing the present the uh the committee sort of like talking about the situation at hand and then the parents like telling how they really feel you know and this like it, I mean it was horrifying but like laugh out loud funny at the same time of just that this I mean I've been in like uh zoom meetings and stuff uh that's like large scale and like i see i read the chats and i'm like oh my gosh i can't believe people are saying this right now uh, (laughs) about the the speaker or whoever it is like i can't believe they're talking like this right now and then there's just something about that you you were talking about um the moments where you felt like oh it was kind of like you trying to what's theatrical about people talking but i think the way you presented it's just so theatrical because you the way it's just feels so blown out um of i mean it's real at the same it's real at the same time but like i can't believe that oh i can't believe it moment you know that feeling is just it's so theatrical to me um yeah this uh, real life folks this is real life um one other thing I, I kind of just want to you you mention about the <laughs> procrastination, um, and and like the anxiety that came the, the feeling about this play and I it's so I relate to that because and then I try to shift my mind that procrastination is like it's not procra- I'm not procrastinating I'm incubating <laughs> in, my, in my own little exactly. world yeah I mean like these these are really important ideas that. Um, that's reflected in the play that it and from what you're saying the 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 whole development process is just it needed to, it needed that time it needed to that collaboration with the directors and the actors and the listening out like it needed that because to read it now I'm like wow uh so relevant and I think even even like 20 years from now it's going to be still relevant I think <laughs> I think so yeah. mm-hmm. no. I mean, the other thing I feel like I learned from that writing process is, and I I think about a lot now, is that there is no correlation between like how difficult writing of a play is, how much you enjoy writing a play, Mm -hmm. and how good that play is. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes plays come easy and sometimes they come hard. And that like, 
that doesn't necessarily mean anything about how the product, what the product is. It's just like each one is its own thing. Yeah, I think that's really mm-hmm. true. Which which just goes to show that as playwrights, I think we're just really bad at predicting. <laughs> or like we're just too inside of a project to know how it's going to be received. Mm-hmm. Um, and and often I think we're bad judges of of like how our work is going to live once we're done writing. Yeah. I mean, I, I also just tend to like hate everything that I'm not actively working mm. on everything. Mm. Like, it, like if I, I always find it really of a struggle to switch between projects because when I switch back to something, I have to go through this like several days of hating it and mm-hmm. just like reading it. Like the first day I know I will like read it and hate it so much. I won't even be able to get to the end. And then like the second day I can like get to the end. And, like then like by the third or fourth day, I like am able to actually do some work on it. Yeah. But first you have to kind of um, come to terms with like who you were when you wrote it and the headspace you were in. Yeah. So I want to switch gears a little bit. Um, can you talk to us about theater in the Bay area? What's your experience been like there? Um, in comparison to New York and for people who aren't familiar with theater there, what, how would you describe it? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, oh, well, you know, of course, like, I feel like there's a big like COVID question mark over everything right right now. So I feel like I can, I can talk about it before COVID. I don't, but I don't know like on the other end. Um, But I think even then it's really tricky to talk about because, there's been, um, I think, in the past, over the past couple of years, every major theater in the Bay Area, except for maybe two, has had an, gotten a new artistic director or is about to. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just like a complete turnover of leadership, which is super exciting, um, but also means it's hard to know what it's going to be next because it's it's still, you know, you're starting to see people who've been there for a year or two, like what their seasons are looking like and what they're, they seem to be interested in, in doing. But it, you know, a lot I think remains to be seen. But I think that is mainly really exciting because I think there's, you know, when people have been the artist director of a theater for 30 years, like things get really calcified where um, they can. And, but then there's the other pressure, which I think is really negative for the long-term viability of the region which is just how expensive it is to be here. Mm. Um, and you really see that, I mean, even the change from when I first got here, where it was, you know, it's definitely cheaper to live here than New York. It was much cheaper to put up a show than, you know, than in New York you could, you know, and um, and now I feel like I've known a bunch, I know a bunch of actors who've moved to New York because it's cheaper to live there. Um, it's just, you know, the, 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 the financial pressure that everyone's under, you can really, you know, you can really feel it. I mean, like when we first started the, our theater company a long time ago and, you know, we had no money and like, as a result, like couldn't really pay anybody more than like a hundred bucks to the show. Um, you know, you could find a stage manager who just graduated from college to stage manage your show for a hundred dollars. And I think now when you, when, you know, companies that are I mean, maybe bigger than that, but are trying to hire a stage manager out of college, you have to pay them, you know, twelve, fifteen hundred dollars as a stipend mm-hmm. because they need to pay their rent, which is insane. And they're working through other jobs to survive. And like that kind of, I, I really worry about what happens when you, 
takeaway. I just think like when I first got here, I would have still felt like I could in good conscience if I was talking to somebody who just got out of school and was like, oh, I want to do theater, but I don't want to go to New York. And I would say, I could say like, oh, Bay Area is like a nice place to go, like spread your wings. And it's like the bar of entry is low. Um, and I just feel like you would be insane to say that to somebody now. Like, no way should you go to the Bay Area. It's just too hard That's to live so here. That's so sad. But yeah, I mean, I think that it, that resonates with a lot of what I've heard. But it's sad. Yeah. And I wonder, I, I really worry about what the long-term impact of that is on a, on a theater community when you sort of take away, like, any of the new people sort of coming into the community, it, it, people who, at least people who are not, like, independently wealthy. Um, I, I, yeah, it's really, it's, it's really worrisome. Um, I think specifically for playwrights, I think the Bay Area is kind of interesting. I think it's, I think there's kind of a lot of opportunity for um, playwrights just starting out. Like there are a bunch of uh, different kind of play development organizations. And, um, uh, but then I think it's, it's sort of, uh, there's a cap on that. And I think there's very, like, I, I think once you get to the bigger theaters, there's historically been very little interest in like local playwrights and supporting local, local playwrights. So it's, um, I think that makes it tricky. I think it's it's really tricky um, to launch a career sort of from the Bay Area sort of to a more national career. You have to kind of get very lucky. Um, and and it's not, there's not enough theaters doing it. It's not like Chicago where like you could sustain yourself like just as a Bay Area playwright. Um, so I think, yeah, it's sort of a mixed, I think it's like a great place to get started, but maybe not a great place to like, <laughs> in the long term as, as a playwright unless you, you know, have other compelling reasons to be here okay I feel weird <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like oh man that's only because like I you know I have family in uh, San Francisco and uh, friends in Varia and um, and even when even in college uh, so many of my art the artists that came were from the Bay Area and to like teach theater and stuff. And, and it's, it's true. Everything you're saying is so true that the impact of um, the cost of living and Silicon Valley and just everything that's happened, that's happened the, over the few years, the last decade or so um, has really impacted the arts community. And uh, it's such a great yeah. town. Like it's such a great city too. Like you go in and you just like feel the energy, like, of the city and I'm like mm. so creative and it's so like beautiful and and it's just the fact that uh the scene is it, should, it could be better it could be better yeah and I, and I will say like it yeah. is a great you know it's a great community of artists and it's a very like welcoming mm -hmm. place to, yeah, to new is. people mm -hmm. like I think you know when I like I remember when I was in New York like and you would just like to even try and like meet somebody for coffee that you wanted to meet you just like yeah it was really difficult it would take like schedule with them like several months in advance or something you know and it was like when I came to the Bay Area and sort of like had this list of people who I you know told me I should said I should look up like everybody is super open and and um so that you know I think I think there's a lot to be said for that I just it's just really it's things are really tough right now like this um and obviously COVID then only makes that, you know, so much more extreme. 
Um, so, so we'll, we'll see, but I do, I mean, I, I, I do love that, that, you know, the community of artists that are here. Um, well, and I wonder if this moment with COVID and it sounds like there's a lot of new, um, leadership and maybe it'll just be an opportunity for a fresh start. And I'm, I'm just really interested to see what happens after there's a vaccine and we can all go back <laughs> to the theater um, if, you know, just if, if something will change, because what you're saying feels like the landscape of theater in a lot of places in this country, it's just not sustainable and it hasn't been for a long time. Yeah, no, I mean, I feel like I, it's, it was a really intense, I mean, I, I feel like something that I understood intellectually, but understood it very different experiencing it and then it was both like thrilling and depressing is like the relationship of New York to the rest of the country um in the because then you know Eureka Day had this like like quite small production in New York last year um that was really seen by very few people because it was only like as a small theater and it had a pretty short run of only a couple weeks but it, it did get a bunch of great press and it got a you know a critics pick from Ben Brantley and then like the moment that happens, a ton of, you know, here like want to do your yeah, play. That's just, uh, I mean, like, yeah. and, and that like, and you could have like the biggest, most successful production in the Bay area. And that would never, you know, you would maybe right. then some, one other theater wants to do it too, but it would, you would never get that effect. Um, I don't think. And so that's like, it's really, yeah, it's, it's, it's not great. <laughs> for the land, like the structure and landscape of American theater, but it is, it is in, intense. Um, well, let's, let's talk a little bit about um, playwriting in general. So um, here's a question we've never asked anybody. It's a brand new question just for you, Jonathan. Oh. If you could have dinner with any three playwrights, living or dead, who would you pick and why? <laughs> Ooh. Um, let's see. Um, I'll just say the first two people who popped to mind, and I'm, I think I'm limiting myself to 20th century, but I'll go, I'll go um, uh, Samuel Beckett, uh, Carol oh, gosh. <laughs> and, uh, and and Wallace Shawn. Wait, who was the second one? Uh, Carol Churchill. Oh, Carol Churchill. Yeah, good choices. Uh, Carol Churchill. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I would probably be too intimidated to participate in that conversation, but I would, I would like to be there for. <laughs> if you're gonna invite them to dinner, you have to talk to them. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I'd have to cook a really good dinner. So, so why did you pick those three? I mean, I think they, you know, I, I, I mean, I had a deep. Uh, uh, deep love of, of Beckett for a long time. I think it was, it made me first notice your podcast was the, the title. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I studied, you know, when I was in college, I did a year abroad at, at Trinity College in Dublin. It was the only like real theater classes I ever took actually were there um, in the study at like the Beckett Center at Trinity College where they, you know, we did lots of like Beckett things and, they, and it was uh, like, I took this Beckett class and they would like have somebody, like I think each week, whatever play we read they would get some but some like irish actor or director who had like worked with beckett on that play to like come in and talk to us about it wow. um 
How did you yeah. know about this Beckett Center? That sounds amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think the Beckett Center is just like the drama department, basically, at, at Trinity College. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and I mean, Carol Churchill is, you know, I think just the most, I mean, is the best living English yeah. language playwright, um, you know, and like, like her ability to like invent new forms and, and form that goes with content, you know, it's just, it's how does her brain work? I don't understand. You know? <laughs> like, um, and and then Wallace Shawn, whose plays I love, but also I just think is like such a fascinating thinker and talker and would just be mm. like an amazing person to have in that conversation. Cool. I want to be at that dinner. But, but also somebody who's like, whose like politics are so like, who both is able to write these plays that like feel like on some level, like feel very gentle because they're sometimes just sort of these like monologue plays with like privileged people talking, but the like politics are so like intense and vicious and like uh, urgent in his plays as well. See, I have to confess, I don't think I've read any of his plays. Oh yeah, you should read, uh, you should definitely read some plays. I think, the Designated Mourner is a good one to, to start with okay. um, and feels uh, appropriate for our, our time as well. Um, mm. And uh, the class, or it's, I don't know if it's a play, was it a play? My Dinner with Andre? I just watched the film version of it, but I don't know if that was ever a play. Mm. I, I think that was just the, the, the film, but I think it, you know, it's basically a play. <laughs> yeah, because this is a talk. Okay, yeah, those are good choices. Like, I would, I would uh, hang with those three uh, in a dinner setting. <laughs> um, yeah, me too. Cool. Yeah. So, to get a little more deep on the process, so um, I'm always, always curious of um, how you organize. <laughs> Not because I watched the Netflix show "Organize uh, Get Organized." <laughs> But I did watch it all, but not because of that, but like, how do you um, organize your thoughts and getting into the page? Are you, you know, paper and pen person, note cards, um, outline? I, I, I don't use paper and pen because I can't read my own handwriting. Uh, so it always ends up badly when I attempt <laughs> that. Uh, I... You know, it's a it, it's sort of different for each play. I don't. I I almost never start with outlining. Um, I will outline at a certain point in the process, it, depending. But I I feel like I I usually need to like I usually begin by like just like making a couple different attempts to like find a way into the play. Um, if I have some I have some like vague idea, and so like writing some kind of scenes or dialogue, just like figuring out like what is the entry point. Um, I mean, like for Eureka Day, my, my sister-in-law worked at a, a school that's very similar to the school in the play. And one day she was telling me about this like fairly contentious board meeting they had where they were debating whether or not to include transracial adoptee on the drop-down menu of races and ethnicities um, for admission. And, and like, as soon as I heard that, I was like, oh, now I know, now I know how to enter this play. You know, and but then once I and and I also I I mostly am doing a lot more research than I used to with with these days I I find Um, 
which can which is both like reading. I also, um, you know, like if it's appropriate, like to do interviews with people. I did a bunch of interviews for you today, and and there's some stuff that comes directly from those interviews in the play. Um, I when I one of the things I did when I was living in New York is I assistant directed a couple of shows, like some of the first shows with this company called The Civilians, um, which do uh, they do sort of documentary musicals mostly and so but but sort of cool. being around Whoa. all of that um all of the like that sort of interview based uh kind of you know in a way of sort of like exploring questions I, I i find really appealing and like the love of like when you have an interview with somebody like the actual like strangeness of like human speech and like get it and, and mm. character um but then once i I feel like when I'm, when I'm, I will sort of do like very rough outline. I think when I'm like maybe midway through a first draft and like have to figure out where I'm going and how I get to the end. And then, but then when I am doing rewriting, I will, I will then like break out the note cards and like try and like mm. put different moments on note cards and, and lay it out and, and try and figure out. And then I also will have word documents where I just like, I'm asking myself a lot of questions that I'm trying to figure out about the play. Um, mm -hmm. Both like, like what is the central question of the play and trying to like keep honing that. And then also just like, what should happen? <laughs> you know, like, mm -hmm. like yeah. a lot of, yeah, a lot totally. of like, like, like AB choices. Like if I do this, then like, how does that track through the play? Or if that happens, like how would that track through the play? And just trying to like figure out which choice is going to kind of give you the most juice um yeah but it's always i don't know it's always sort of different and i'm not you interview I, people sorry when you interview people do you find that people are willing to talk <laughs> i'm always so curious about when playwrights say they talk to people interviewing um when you're for your research or for the play yeah i think people love to talk about themselves i mean you know <laughs> and, and their ideas and as long as you like cut it up in a pretty open way like um, and you, and you sort of ask questions that, you know, just sort of prompt them to talk more. Uh, yeah, generally, it, generally people, you know, I think really, really like, you know, to people to have to listen to what they have to say. There's actually, there is this moment in that I had so much anxiety because I, uh, there is a monologue in Eureka Day, the one that the, the, the woman is talking about, um, you know, how we just, you know, like, like she's distrustful of vaccines because we've like, we have all the hubris as humans and we, we've get, gotten so many things wrong in the past. And like that is, is very, not, not verbatim, but like very close to what had come out of you know, this person that I had interviewed. And she came to see the play and I was so, I had so much anxiety. I mean, I had told her like, oh, I, you know, you some of the stuff we talked about, but like, I, I had so much anxiety about what she was going to feel about like her words right. about the character. And afterwards she was like, I loved it. She was like, I think <laughs> what I, she was like, I think what I have to say is so smart. And all these people were stuck in a room having to listen to it. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have to say, I, when I realized what this play was going to be about, I, I did not think I was going to be able to empathize with the, anti-vaccine contingent of your story and by the end of the play I really did empathize with them and uh, mm. I was kind of amazed that that happened 
Um, so mm -hmm. good job. <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh no, I mean that's been something really tricky to calibrate, and I I feel like still is a thing I sort of, you know, I I think you get feedback on, and you you, you know it's that thing where you get responses, and you have to know that like, you know to just like figure out like well some people are gonna feel one way and some people are gonna feel other of like trying to calibrate to make it like to have empathy with that point of view but not mm -hmm. feeling like you are advocating right. for that point of view or right. or you know the, the worst thing would be like somebody walks out of the play being like i don't know maybe i shouldn't vaccinate my kids you know like <laughs> and uh i mean i yeah. don't think the play does that but i think like so you know i, I feel like there have been a, you know some reviews that are like i don't know maybe this is bad to even like voice this point of view at all you know and so like it, yeah so it's so tricky to know but i do think that's the job of the playwright is to is to show us how to um wade around in those treacherous waters like it's mm -hmm. if, i think if you played it too safe then the play would just be um well i'm not even going to say preaching to the choir because i'm so tired of that phrase but it would just be like um too self-assured I think if mm. if it was like we're right and these people are wrong you know let's laugh at them totally and so and and I really liked that I w was able to see where every character was coming from and um and that they were fully realized human beings you know with mm -hmm. with reasons for why they felt this way Totally. Uh, so before we move on to glistens, um, we have a final question we want to ask you, and this is a tough one. Um, so not, well, it's not that tough, but we'll see. Uh, <laughs> so how would you define what it means to be an artist in the 21st century or, uh, or in this moment <laughs> of time? September 2020 uh, in America. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I think, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it has to be something about like help, like, like trying to, uh, uh, give people avenues to try and make sense of the world in some way, because our world feels like it, uh, makes so little sense right now <laughs> and mm -hmm. like everything is falling apart um but I, I yeah I don't I don't know I mean I think I think the like in, I, I I mean at the same time I, I guess I I wonder if like there's anything like fundamentally being an artist in this time or in every time is is, is not like if the core of it is the same which is like you want to like you know dig at and discover something like that is like truthful and beautiful and share that with people and hopefully like they connect to that truth and beauty and like uh you know helps people like feel more alive mm -hmm. yeah easier said yeah. than done i mean <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> definitely um okay actually one more question one more question okay um so you mentioned that that moment where you you were directing and then that realization like you know what you weren't admitting to others that uh yet yeah, that you're a writer um 
uh-huh. you know, what advice would you give to those people who are kind of, they think they're, you know, I'm a stage manager, or I'm a director, but like, they kind of, you know, maybe they are really a writer. Um, how, what advice would you give to those folks that are kind of wanting to uh, bring into that? Um, I mean, I guess two things. I mean, one is that, you know, like, what makes you a writer is writing. And so if you, you know, if you're not sure if you're a writer, then you should write. And if, you know, if you write, then then that will be sort of be your path forward. Um, and I do think everybody, yeah, I go back and forth about how, if I 100% believe this, but I think I mostly believe it, the like Paula Vogel thing that like everybody can be a playwright because everybody is a human and everybody has like, access to human experience and and a unique human experience and like that's what we want from people is like an access to like a specific and unique experience i think from other people's plays um and i think the other piece of advice that i i i think about a lot and i I, the more be like the more i go along the more true i find it to be is um from this this playwright this wonderful playwright rachel axler who mostly writes TV these days, but, um, that like, uh, like making a career is like, um, it's like being in a room with no doors and windows. And so the only way to get out of that room is to like burst through a wall. Um, but but that when you burst through that wall that you are like one of those like Looney Tunes characters and you leave a hole in the wall that's exactly in the shape of you which means nobody else can go through that hole and so like you can't I love like, that. You, you can't follow anybody else's path because everyone's path is unique and like and I, I feel like when I was young but even not so young like I used to do a lot of like like looking at people's bios and trying to sort of like reverse engineer their career and like oh if mm-hmm. I do x and it will lead to y then it will lead to z and I just feel like the more you you know, see other people's careers like like move over time and experience your own. You realize like everybody is so it, the, the journey is so idiosyncratic to each person that like that's not really a helpful thing to do <laughs> and is more misleading than it is revelatory. I think that's so true. Mm. And and it you know it's it's because there's so much that you can't control, and so um, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. It's like you have to, the things that you think you can, you're going to be able to control in your career are like exactly the things you won't be able to control. Because you have to look for like other ways you can um, carve your path. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's both that there's so much you can't control. And also if you're looking at anybody else, unless you're like, they're your best friend and you know everything that's happened to them ever, like you're only seeing the tip of the iceberg and you don't know about all of the other things that happened. Right. and also everybody Nobody writes in their bio all the things they got rejected from. That would be a really interesting way to start writing bios. <laughs> right. Huh. Right. Or like the ran- the random thing that happened that like this led to that and this person said they liked your play and then six years later like this other thing came around, you know, like all of that yeah. kind of stuff. Right. Um, well, shall we move on to glistens? So this is the part of our show where we talk about something from the week that stuck with us. Um, anybody want to go first? 
I could go first. So this week, uh, oh god, so much happened. Um, what we obviously the big one is RBG passing away. Oh, no. I didn't want to mention on the show, but I was like, you know what, I have to. <sighs> we have to acknowledge. Yeah. Acknowledge. Yeah, it's huge, uh, big deal, and I was in a spiral chaos in my mind um yeah yeah and sam left instagram (laughs) (laughs) oh my god i can't believe that's your glisten i know so much happened is it the last like 24 hours um you you left instagram because of rbg well to be honest it's like it's just too i think rbg was like the straw that broke the camel's back it's just too much and i I just need a break. So I think I'll come back maybe after the election. Okay. Um, that's yeah, that's fair. Maybe. Don't don't use maybe baby. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> um okay, so my other glisten is that uh Hulu's Pen Fifteen is back. Uh if you're if you like that show, it's back. Second season. I love these girls. They are cr- out of control. They are my spirit animals or, or whatever. Um I love them. And so, yeah. Oh, so also this month I have been trying to read as many plays as I can on New Play Exchange. A lot harder than you guys think. Um, (laughs) But the play that I really (laughs) want to highlight this week um, from New Play Exchange that I got a hold of was uh, uh, Karidasevich Red Bike. And I'm probably late in the party, late to the party on this play, but this was really good i i by the end i was like my heart was broken at the by the end of this play um yeah you were texting me about this play yeah i was like you gotta read this red bike yeah but that's okay so that's my glisten it's very it's it's a lot so unpack that people (laughs) (laughs) um well i'll go next i watched this film um the new york film festival is online this year and well, I think they're also doing drive-in movies, but um, you can buy tickets and then during a particular window of time, watch the film. And so I watched um, this documentary called Gunda or Gunda, Gunda. I think it's Gunda, which is a Norwegian documentary about, I mean, don't laugh. It's just animals on a farm, mostly this mother pig you see her like give birth to these piglets and then nurse them and then like waddle around in the sunshine with them and then I won't spoil the ending but you can probably predict that it's pretty sad and then throughout there's also like cows and chickens there's no words there's not even a story it's kind of like an anti-film in that Mm. it's really just like so your glisten is don't watch this movie. No, it was, I was utterly enchanted by it. It's in black and white. And just like the, um, you're so close to these animals. You can see like the individual hairs on these infant pigs backs and, and the soundscape of it too is so rich. And so just like, I mean, they're like little puppies. You can hear all the snuffling and the grunting and the growling and squeaking and, um, it's just like a very rich. Okay, I know I'm not selling it very well, but like, <laughs> I loved it, and that's my glisten. 
if you want to feel like you're on a farm and you're like smelling these animals, watch this film. Exactly. Oh, Jonathan, what is your glisten? <laughs> um, well, my glisten was gonna be being able to walk around outside and breathe the air, which we but we talked about that oh, already. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, so I'll go with um, Cobra Kai, which is on Netflix, um, which is oh, like a a like um, so it, it's sort of like a, a not as I don't know if sequel is the right word, but it's a, it's a series. Um, uh, taking up the Karate Kid 30 years mm -hmm. later with the actors oh who played the, the main characters in the Karate Kid playing them, playing those characters now 30 years later. Um, and it's, and the Karate Kid was one of those movies, like we had, you know, whatever, 15 or 20 movies like on VHS and that we would just watch over and over and over as a kid. And, and this was one of them for me. So a lot of nostalgia, but I actually feel like they do this kind of incredible job of balancing the tone of the tv series between like acknowledging like how incredibly goofy the source material is um while also like like mm -hmm. you know making it making it sort of fun and, and it's also mm -hmm. a teen drama and they sort of in, invert like you know who's good and who's bad and 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 it, it it's just like you keep like waiting for it to be terrible but it, it is sort of surprisingly well done for what it is um and is just Although also like sends you down this like dizzying rabbit hole of like feeling so old because like these people are so old. And also there's like the meta thing of that like for the characters in the show, the like main like the Daniel LaRusso and the guy who played Johnny, his like nemesis, that in the show, this karate tournament they had 30 years ago was like the highlight of their life. But also for those actors, the movie 30 years ago was the top yeah, of their career. So it's just right. like <laughs> incredible that it like wow. comes around with that that's hilarious it, it, isn't it in season two is it the second yeah, season yeah season, yeah two seasons yeah yeah i've been hearing some good stuff about the show or people just kind of enjoying the what everything you just described about it um fun cool um before we sign off uh jonathan where can our listeners find you um, I'm on Twitter where I tweet angrily about politics mostly. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I do have a website that doesn't get updated very often. Um, and yeah, and I am on, on new play exchange, uh, as well. And listeners should stay tuned for, um, Eureka day is going to be published. Yes. I, I, I'm told that Hopefully, we'll be out in the, in the next couple months. Uh, Great. Okay. Very exciting. Well, thank you so much for uh, spending your morning with us and talking to us. Yeah, thank you. This was fun. <laughs>